0: Hello there. I'm glad you for dropping by. This is the club I'm teaching the channel. When you
1: find a second person, ferry, 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 ferry. Hello. Well, he did it. He came back for another go, and I was surprised. I was very surprised, in fact. It's two months since the last one. He made two videos two months ago. And then since then, it's been radio silence. People were rather concerned about him, including me. And it seemed to me that he'd given up. He just didn't know how to come back to his channel and start making videos again without this hanging over him. So he was sort of working out what to do, how to come back. And change the subject without acknowledging what had happened. That was what I thought was ha- what had was going on because the defeat was so embarrassing for him last time. And so I thought, well, I, I did reach out to him. I was concerned, but you no, know, no reply.
0: Um, and I just thought, okay, that's maybe it. Who knows what will happen? But the, I didn't.
1: I didn't expect him to do this. He's come back for another try. He's made a third video, trying to rubbish the alt right, and of course, it suffers. It's it's a bad video for various reasons, but the main reason is it suffers from the same problems as the as the first two videos. Anyway, let's get into this this video and what what is wrong with it. I'm sorry, but yet again, it really is a catalogue of incompetence and uh, erroneous thinking. So the main thing is Kraut demands an insane level of precision and weight of evidence. He seems to think that now he's delving into this arena of science, science is 100% precise, and so anything that enters into that arena and is not 100% precise is an interloper, something that he, as a layman, can just dismiss out of hand. He can say, that doesn't belong in science. But he's not a scientist, and I'm not either, but I'm not arguing his case. So, this hate, this uh, obsession with precision and weight of evidence, and also hatred of speculation. This again was in, in the first two videos, and it's, it's here again. It, it, I mean, it's actually, to be honest, it's remarkable how little he seems to have learned. It's the same mistakes. Now. The main thing is that occupies the first 10 or 15 minutes of the video. He's obsessed with this idea that you have, to have, you have to have identified the particular genes that govern intelligence in order to, before you can surmise, that genes govern intelligence, or even that they're influential, that they have a part in governing intelligence. In order to say that, you have to know which genes are at play. And for various reasons, that is simply not the case. You don't have to know them in order to assert that this is... I mean, uh, I'll go into several reasons and several metaphors for why that is wrong. Um, But the thing to say first is, the issue is, does the theory explain reality? Does it match up? Does it fit reality well? Or doesn't it? The issue
0: is not is the theory absolutely complete and precise? Because you cannot do that. You, certainly,
1: that, that is unrealistic. We are, we are human beings, we're fallible, and we're working with limited evidence, limited data. So you have to draw assumptions and averages and speculation. That, you just have to do that.
0: Anyway, in summary, the, the how is debatable, but the facts are consistent. So
1: the how, the precise manner in which genes govern or influence intelligence, that's something that we can move on to and hopefully come to grips with. But to say that we have to know now how it happens before we can say that it does happen is silly. Now, here is a comment that was posted under the alternative hypotheses response video, which I think illustrates and this is someone who's more scientifically literate than I am. And uh, I think it illustrates the point quite well. This time, Kraut reached deep into EvoGen's playbook of reading a biology textbook in lieu of talking about how genes do or do not influence IQ. He won up to the snarky inquisitor by not only claiming that you have to find specific genes, but that you have to trace how each gene interacts with every other gene and how each of them encodes proteins, and how each of those encoded proteins affects neurophysiology. And only then might we have a preponderance of evidence that genes could affect cognitive ability. So there we have it, a complete eradication of the entire body of research that we have on behavioral genetics, quantitative genetics, psychometrics, and many other fields, since there is not a single trait that we know enough about to meet this preposterous burden of proof. <sighs> now, the issue is the, well, that sometimes you have to work with incomplete information and incomplete understanding of the information. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't act or that you shouldn't draw inferences from the information based on your limited understanding of it. You have to. Um, but to say that you, well, you just shouldn't act at all based on incomplete data or, in, or an incomplete understanding of it, to say that you just shouldn't act at all and you shouldn't draw any inferences would be paralyzing. Uh, human beings would never have got anywhere with that attitude, which I have to say is a product of decadence. Assuming It's, it's a childish attitude, assuming that things must be perfect before you can proceed. Life doesn't actually work like that. So Kraut demands the final answer before he takes the question seriously or respects the questioner. Again, this is just not a way of being, a way of operating that works in the real world. Another way of putting it is if a sculptor is gradually chipping away at a block of marble, Kraut would criticise him for not having the finished piece there and then. It's that level of petulance and disinterest, frankly, and also hatred of process, hatred of incompleteness, and hatred of uncertainty. This, by the way, suggests psychological issues in Kraut, but I'm not going to go into that because who knows, maybe he's just acting this way, this petulant way. In this specific instance, to do with this particular discourse. You know, it's it's his way of thinking that he's one. If he can be this pedantic and autistic about it. Um, but ultimately, th- this thing about uncertainty and completeness, that's just how life is. <laughs> um another metaphor I'm going to give you. It's like if somebody were to warn you that a truck is careering towards you, you would reply that unless they can tell you which specific type of truck it is, and what speed it's currently moving at, and what its brake speed is, and so on, then you're going to assume that they're lying about there being a
0: truck careering towards you. It's that stupid. And now more humorously, here is someone else's summary
1: of it. Thanks to Kraut, I owned my doctor yesterday. I told him I was having, ch- I told him I was having chest pain, and he asked if I had a family history of heart disease. When I asked him to name each and every gene and all their functions that lead to them causing heart disease, he couldn't. So that proves that heart disease isn't genetic. Good thing I didn't continue on with that quack doctor. Now I hope that makes the point. Um, okay, I'll move on. Now we're going to get more serious now. Because I don't want to just endlessly make fun of Crouch's attitude. Well, maybe he deserves that, I'm not sure. But anyway, let's get more precise. So from three minutes to five minutes, he goes on and on about how <laughs> how biologically uninformed speculation has led to terrible things in the past. Now this is a banal and obvious point and it's also not terribly relevant. But in addition, I would ask him what terrible things are caused by race realism. I mean, the examples he gave are perfectly legitimate. I'm just wondering what's what's the relevance of them here. So what terrible things are caused by race realism? Surely it's the opposite, a presumption of racial egalitarianism that has caused more damage. For example, Europe and America right now are on the brink of being destroyed, possibly forever because of the assumption that the races are the same, mentally, behaviourally. That is in danger of literally destroying a civilization. And do I need to elaborate on that? Probably not. This idea that we're all, this assumption that the races are all the same, does have devastating consequences in the long term, if it's allowed to run rampant, but also in the short term, because you've got all these
0: discrepancies that you have to explain away. Moving on, at 10 minutes, he
1: acknowledges that a tiny change, genetically, a tiny genetic change can have massive effects, yet he denies that the many differences between, for example, Africans and Europeans will have any effects on intelligence
0: at all. Well, if a tiny change can have massive effects, then surely two populations that are
1: quite genetically different, are going to have... that. That's going to affect their respective intelligences, surely. <sighs> Moving on. And this... Okay, it's 16 minutes. And in this one, he's got another... guest expert on. Uh, this is an American guy. Synthetic dissident. And it was interesting about this guy, apart from... Uh, there are various things that other people have commented on about this guy, which I won't go into. Um... But at 16 minutes, this guy inadvertently justifies race realism. <laughs> and he certainly didn't mean to, but he states that populations evolved in isolation from each other for very long periods of time, and thus became very different from each other genetically. But for some reason, he thinks that this doesn't affect their brain development or their resultant
0: mental capacities. Again, uh, how, how can that possibly be? They evolved separately, in isolation from each other, for a very long period of time,
1: and yet came out of this, this process mentally identical, or as good
0: as identical. How the hell did that happen? I'll get back to that at the end. Now, at 23 minutes, crowd,
1: and this is where it gets even more ridiculous, Kraut demands that we not only identify the genes, the exact genes responsible for intelligence, but also that we explain why those genes evolved or became more prominent in Europeans than in sub-Saharan Africans. So in other words, he wants not only the genetic, uh, scientific demonstration of a system for divergent intelligences, but also an explanation for why those genes emerged in the first place in terms of uh, Evolutionary theory. Now, this is not necessary. Now, this is another. This is an example of of him demanding proof that is not necessary. It's not necessary
0: um, to explain historically why Europeans had a a need to
1: develop more intelligence than Africans in order to demonstrate that Europeans are more intelligent than Africans. Uh, in the here and now. However, there are possible explanations, which we'll get to a wee bit later. I just want to em- emphasise, he's, he's again, he's demanding a huge burden, of, uh, amount of evidence and proof and explanation. At 24 minutes, he acknowledges selection pressures for intelligence springing from the environment in which a population lives, but then says, that these pressures do not differ between loosely defined populations, uh, whites, blacks, and Asians. And um, somehow, the, or is he, is he, I can't remember exactly what he says, that the, the pressures, either the pressures don't differ or the results of those pressures don't differ. Um, but that contradicts his first assertion, that the environment exerts selection pressures, since obviously whites and blacks evolved in very different environments, which must have exerted different selection pressures. Uh, so these loosely defined populations, be they loosely defined or not, must have gone through different selection pressures and therefore must have evolved in different ways. Now those selection pressures would have pressured them towards certain, in certain evolutionary directions, which would necessarily differ from each other because the pressures, the selection pressures, differed from each other. This is just common sense. And then at 25 minutes, he denies that selection pressures in Europe and East Asia will lead to increased intelligence. And this is where he says, what makes you believe, and this is a, a perfectly valid question, he says, what makes you believe that the intelligence required to overcome a winter in Europe is more than the intelligence required to survive a sub-Saharan dry season? No. As I say, that's a very legitimate question. And I as I said earlier, it's still not necessary for us to demonstrate this in order to
0: demonstrate that the that we differ here and now. But still, if we're gonna go into this uh this area. I'll quote from an HBD person called
1: Pumpkin Person, a writer. And here's a here's a direct quote from, from that blog. Cold winters select for higher intelligence because of the survival challenges of keeping warm, building shelter, and hunting large game. By contrast, warm climates select for small heads, and by extension smaller brains and lower IQs, because in the tropics, an oversized head will overheat like a light bulb, and also, I would add to that, as a layman i believe this this is true that a large brain requires more energy and so it's not it's evolutionarily expensive to have intelligence that you don't actually need and that is not coming in useful because it drains it means that you have to eat more basically which is obviously inefficient and hazardous it's a liability and then pumpkin person goes on It seems modern humans are the only species in the Homo genus that is adaptable enough to survive extreme cold climates. I suspect that during prehistoric times, a tribe needed an average IQ of at least 90 to live with such weather. If the tribe's IQ fell below 90, there wouldn't be enough people who could quickly make fire, build warm, sturdy and watertight shelter, sew weathertight clothes, and hunt scarce large game, large animals.
0: And uh, so those are some reasons why the cold climates in northern Europe are more
1: trying than the sub-Saharan dry season, because the sub-Saharan dry season is survived by moving. They simply move around nomadically to where the to where the water is, to where the animals are, to where the food is. That's how it survived. It has not survived by ingenuity, at least not a large range of ingenuity. And so intelligence, again, is not it's not necessary for intelligence to evolve. The means to survive with a low intelligence are there. Now that doesn't mean, by the way, that you or I could be transported to sub-Saharan Africa in the dry season and survive, even with our high intelligence. It simply means that you don't require a higher intelligence in order to learn how to survive in that environment. Now, here is Richard Lynn paraphrasing Robin Torrance. And this has to do with the results or evidence, let's put it this way, evidence of higher intelligence uh, in different populations. So he's Ro- Richard Lynn paraphrasing Robin Torrance. There is an association between latitude. And the number and complexity of tools used by contemporary hunter-gatherers. Torrance found that hunter-gatherer peoples in tropical and subtropical latitudes, such as the Amazon basin and New Guinea, typically have between 10 and 20 different tools, whereas those in the colder northern latitudes of Siberia, Alaska and Greenland have between 25 and 60 different tools. In addition, so that's obviously immediately you've got far, far greater range of flexibility and ingenuity. In addition, peoples in cold northern environments make more complex tools involving the assembly of components, such as hafting a sharp piece of stone or bone onto the end of a spear and fixing a stone axe head onto a timber shaft. So. I don't think I need to explain why what the significance of that is, but we're talking about increased complexity
0: in order to combat different environmental factors. Now, at twenty six, now before I go into this, in each of Kraut's
1: previous two videos, there was one bit that demonstrated that he was flailing around and really, it was a weak point that perhaps exposed general incompetence and uh, about the subject that he was discussing and also a certain gullibility, which is unfortunate. And in this one, that moment occurs between 26 minutes and 29 minutes. And by the way, it's not just Kraut. This is the really embarrassing thing. His expert, synthetic dissident, shares in it. He does the same thing. he It's amazing. That guy is supposedly some kind of geneticist, some kind of scientist. All right, here's what happens. They go in for this dreadful misnomer by saying that, and this is about how... In, <laughs> they're, de- they're denying that environment affects intelligence one way or the other, whether it raises it or re- uh, lowers it. And there are evidence for this
0: is that once Europeans migrated from Europe, Northern Europe, to America and also to South Africa, they didn't become less intelligent. Now we're talking about, in the case of South Africa, about 300 years ago, and in the case of America, about 400 years ago, 500 years ago. And I just, you know, I'm a layman in science. I know
1: I, I'm not pretending to have any expertise in it. And even when, when, when I heard
0: that, I couldn't believe it. Um, so what is so retarded about this idea? Um, oh, well,
1: I'll go first to describe what, the, what his um, synthetic dissident says. He says that environment can't influence IQ since Europeans haven't become dumber since moving to America. Now, first of all, we'll get the easy bit over with first, the obvious thing. We're talking about three or four hundred years that that Europeans have been
0: in South Africa and America. Three or four, maybe five hundred years at the absolute most. Uh, Versus a hundred thousand years since Europeans first left Africa, or what
1: we now call Europeans people, first left Africa, went into Asia, and then up to Europe. 100,000 years versus 400 years and i just it's just amazing to me are they suggesting that if environment influenced iq over the course of 100,000 years then we would see some change in these europeans over the course of
0: 400 years fucking hell <laughs> <laughs> But that's
1: only the first part of why it's such a retarded thing. The the second thing is, they're assuming that by environment, we in the alt-right and HBD community are referring just to weather and climate.
0: No. Because the environment now is is shaped by humans
1: to a a far greater extent than it was 100,000 years ago. And indeed, the more intelligent those humans are, the more they shape they shape the environment in which they operate and in which their progeny operate. So the environment now is a mix not just of weather and climate, but also of all the tasks that are required of any normal person to get by in,
0: in daily life. And all the challenges that they might be presented with and all the ideas that they might be presented with. And the language. Every, everything. So. The fact is. I can, it's just amazing that I need to
1: say this. Europeans. Let's take the South Africa example. Europeans living in South Africa today. Are not living in, in the environment. Faced by our ancestors 100,000 years ago in Africa. It's essentially. It's, well, it's a first world. Well it was a first world country. And so it has all of those the systems, the infrastructure, the politics, the the culture, which were not faced by I mean those things, those selection pressures, which is what they are today, were not faced by our ancestors in South Africa a hundred thousand years ago. Of course they weren't. I and mean, what's happened here is that people have left that environment, which was not very mentally challenging migrated to an environment that was far more mentally challenging and then they've gone back to that original environment uh, and it is now theirs they now shape it and they now make it more challenging for uh, they make it more complex and so the challenges that their progeny face in that environment are first
0: world challenges so that's why people aren't getting dumber what stupidity So that's there, that's that bit. Alright, right, I'll move on. At 29, uh, right, now this is the final, uh, from 29
1: to 34 minutes, five whole minutes. He spends spends this time, Kraut spends that whole five minutes. It's his gotcha moment, or what he thinks is his gotcha moment. And he's talking about an article on the Alternative Hypothesis website that lists several studies, which, and each of these studies is looking to identify genes that govern intelligence or influence intelligence. But the article then ends with by saying that we don't need to identify the specific genes in order to infer that genes do govern intelligence or influence it. So in other words, the article lists some possible some studies that are looking into the matter but then ends with the caveat we don't need to know this information in order to talk about and assume that intelligence is at least partly genetically defined or determined. And uh, Kraut asks what, I think he says, what even is the point of this article if it lists these uh, studies and then says that the, the studies that we don't need to know the information. <clears throat> and I have to say, the, the fact that Crowd thinks this is a contradiction is a sign of his absolutist, shrill, and non-skeptical way of thinking, and incurious way of thinking. The article is supplying lines of inquiry, whilst placing that whole area of inquiry within a larger context, not to dismiss it or invalidate it, but to keep it in perspective, in other words, it's saying this information is that this studying about which genes govern intelligence is is useful and
0: interesting, but it's not crucial okay, and in conclusion, um
1: here's another comment that I want to read out to you, and this is a simple summary of the issue it's, someone says that the following. Black people being better at basketball and American football and sprinting sets the precedent for other racial differences. If there are physical
0: differences, then there are probably mental ones too. Not too difficult, that's the comment. And before I go on, I'll say the current consensus is that humans left
1: Africa, as I said, about 100,000 years ago, and began spreading throughout Asia about 60,000 years ago, reaching Europe about 43,000 years ago, and East Asia about 30,000 years ago. So we've been away from... Everyone else has been away from Africans, and I'll put it this way, everyone else has been away from Africa for 100,000 years, whereas Africans have stayed there. So we're talking about 100,000 years of divergence, and then between those, all those different populations, East Asia, Asia, uh, and, and Europe, and you know, Northern Europe, everything, there are separate, very large spaces of time,
0: drawing them apart, defining them, from, differentiating them from each other. So here's the thing. There is no reason to think that with all that time spent apart, these races would end up being mentally identical. There's absolutely no reason why that would happen.
1: And so the, propo- the preposterous notion is not that these, that there are going to be mental differences between the races. The preposterous notion is the idea that there wouldn't be mental differences between the races. And so really the burden of proof is on crowd. To prove his thesis, which is the preposterous one, not on us to prove ours. That's how it should be, at least. But of course, Kraut makes no attempt uh, to prove his thesis, using biological evidence or otherwise, that the races are intellectually identical. And given how unlikely it is that the races are intellectually identical, I really think it's up to them, it's up to his camp,
0: to prove that incredibly unlikely thing. And then one final note. We are now operating in a, a world of incredible political correctness. We are lucky, especially since in the last seventy years, whenever any study is done that
1: into this issue, this is a this is an issue that the issue of race and IQ is absolutely central to the egalitarian paradigm that we have been living under since World War II. And so anything that threatens it is, well, let's put it this way, it's very difficult to get get it funded. So we're very lucky when there's any study at all that uh, goes into this. And that's not because it's an insane area to go into, or an insane uh, proposition that the races differ. It's
0: because that proposition is so incendiary to our culture today in the West. So it's to
1: do with the, fr- the fragility of our culture, the shaky foundations upon which it's
0: based, not the the insanity of uh, this notion. This
1: notion can only be true. It can only be true that the races differ mentally, behaviourally, hormonally, physically, in every way. So I think that Kraut and people like him really should have some humility and understand that in fact they are, well, they're supporting, they are part of the establishment, the mainstream, the orthodoxy.
0: And furthermore, they should acknowledge that that orthodoxy is ludicrous. And so there is absolutely no
1: cause for them to be arrogant or dismissive or smug Because, really,
0: they are supporting something, believing in something, propagating something, that must be a lie. So, that's all I have to say about this.
1: I'm sorry this has actually ended up being longer than his original video, but uh, there we go. It, It was just such a silly video. We'll see if he continues with this series. If he does, I'll make another video replying to his next one. In the meantime, thank you for watching.
0: Theory. 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 Theory.
1: Theory.